0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our message today is the, uh, the set of hard words that we've sung together today and uh, the other imprecatory psalms as well. And so uh, I invite you to be seated and we'll get right into that. So back in our college days, my wife and I enjoyed watching this show called Monk. Maybe some of you remember that. Um, Adrian Monk was a detective who had severe obsessive compulsive disorder, and his OCD helped him to to see clues that other people would miss while on the case. And so oftentimes in the show, people would, would point out his unique abilities, and he would often respond by saying, it's a blessing and a curse, And that's really what we have today, a blessing and a curse. We're going to be continuing our Songs of the Messiah sermon series as we go through the book of Psalms, and all 150 psalms are a great blessing to us. But our psalms that we're focusing on today are also, by definition, curses. Today we focus on the imprecatory psalms, psalms of cursing. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the hashtag blessed, I don't think Hashtag cursed is quite as popular. And uh, neither really are the imprecatory psalms, perhaps for good reason. Let me give you a few examples. From Psalm 58. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. It's nice. Psalm 69. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. And from Psalm 109, we've heard this already. When he has tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. Wow. Not really the type of thing you would want on your Christmas card. (laughs) Uh, That wasn't our, our family's Christmas card this year. Um, all of these are actually pretty mild examples compared to, to some of the, the more notorious imprecations in the Psalms. and So I think maybe it goes without saying that these imprecatory Psalms present to us a tremendous challenge as Christians, and, and they're challenging uh, for, for a couple of reasons. The first one is because we can't ignore them, and we can't ignore them for a couple of reasons. First, because they're all over the place, and second, because they are the Word of God. So first of all, they're everywhere. 32 out of the 150 psalms are usually categorized as imprecatory psalms, and and even psalms that aren't categorized that way still have these, these curses appear and show up like unwanted house guests. For example, and I know you probably can't read all these numbers, but here is a chart from a book on the imprecatory psalms to give you an idea of how many curses there are in the book of Psalms. These aren't a handful of side comments. They're pervasive. They permeate even some of the psalms that are most beloved to us. One writer has said, There is hardly a page of the psalms that isn't left smoking by a pungent curse. And what's even more unsettling about this is that the New Testament quotes some of these curses with approval. In Acts chapter 1, at the beginning of the Christian church, Peter quotes two of the most notorious imprecatory psalms, Psalm 69 and 109, and then he even says that the Holy Spirit spoke these words about Judas. So that the New Testament explicitly claims that these harsh words are the inspired word of God. And this is to say nothing of the imprecations that Jesus himself says in the Gospels. You know, the, the woe to you and the better to have a millstone tied around his neck sort of stuff. So as Adrian Monk would say, here's the thing. We cannot base our acceptance of these Psalms as the word of God on how we feel about them. We, we can't ignore them because we don't like them or because they make us squirm in our seats. But that is probably our inclination, isn't it? And that's understandable. For one thing, we live in a society where the cardinal sin is is to offend anybody. And that aside, when you see something horrible happen to somebody, you'll often say, I wouldn't wish that on, what? My worst enemy. And I think we usually mean that. But the second reason that we find these psalms... So challenging is not because they fly in the face of our culture, but because they seem to fly in the face of the rest of Scripture. As a prime example, Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So Jesus' command to us to love and not to hate, to bless and not to curse, is painstakingly and resoundingly clear. So how did these barbaric words make it into his word? We might be tempted after reading some of them to start a a Not My Bible campaign. In fact, many well-meaning Christians have said that these imprecatory psalms should have no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. Many Christian hymnals, even our own, as you may have noticed, leave out most of the imprecatory psalms. And even in this sermon, kind of mindful that we have people here of all ages I've chosen not to share some of the most scandalous imprecations in the Psalms. Nevertheless, today I I can say to you with confidence that not only do these Psalms belong in the Bible, but that they also have a place in the life of a disciple of Jesus. God invites us to express all of our feelings to him, the, the feelings of sorrow and pain and anguish in the Psalms of Lament. And in the same way, he invites us to cry out to him in the words of the imprecatory Psalms. There's a scholar by the name of Tremper Longman III, which, by the way, does mean that at least two people with the name Tremper decided to pass that along to the next generation. But Tremper Longman III has some helpful words for us when he says, when we are deeply harmed and our anger boils, it would be both fruitless and dangerous to suppress those emotions rather than turning them over to God. The imprecations are, are not just expressions of anger, they allow us to turn our anger over to God for him to act as he sees fit. So the imprecatory Psalms are a huge challenge for us, but they have a purpose. So let's talk about that purpose a little bit. The undergirding thought that we always have to keep in mind whenever we are reading or praying these psalms, is summed up well in Romans twelve nineteen. just a, a few verses after where Paul says that we are to bless and not to curse. And here, Paul cites Deuteronomy 32, when he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is the key that helps us to unlock the imprecatory psalms. These psalms are never to be used at the whim of our changing moods or as fuel to stoke the fires of our anger. Just the opposite, in fact. To pray the imprecatory psalms is to surrender all rights of vengeance to God. I've already mentioned how Peter cited Psalm 109 in reference to Judas, In its original context, Psalm 109 was was written by King David, a a prayer against his and and Israel's and God's enemies. And you might remember some of David's enemies. One of the first and worst was, was King Saul, who tried to kill him several times. You might also remember David's attitude toward King Saul in the midst of all of this. You might even remember what David once said to Saul. He said, May the Lord judge between you and me, And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. It might scratch our itch for revenge to pray these psalms in someone's general direction, but that's not what they're for. We don't pray these psalms against our personal enemies, but against the enemies of Christ and his church, asking God to deal on our behalf. In our gospel lesson today, uh, James and John asked something inappropriate of Jesus to to sit at his right and his left in his glory. Well, that wasn't the only time that that they asked something inappropriate of Jesus. There's an account in the gospel of Luke where a, a village of Samaritans rejects Jesus. And so James and John say, Lord, can we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. They had a sinful misunderstanding of God's will, and we have to guard against the same misunderstanding when it comes to the imprecatory Psalms. We are not to call down fire from heaven. We are to call down God. So vengeance is for the Lord. But what is for us? Well, it is for us to cry out to the Lord with prayers for deliverance and cries for justice. Psalm 69 begins by praying, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And then in, in this and his other prayers for deliverance, David asks God to frustrate the ways of the wicked for the sake of the righteous. As we heard earlier in Psalm 56, "O God, break the teeth in their mouths, so that they can't rip apart the innocent with them anymore. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord, so, so they can't devour your people anymore. Then in the next verse, when he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. As we've heard the last couple weeks in Psalms 1 and 2, the the favor of God toward the righteous entails God's vengeance on the wicked. Israel knew that they had been rescued from bondage when the Egyptians' implements of war failed them and, and their bodies washed up on the shore. Deliverance for God's people means the destruction of God's enemies. The destruction of God's enemies means the deliverance of God's people. So we pray for that deliverance. And as we do that, we also cry out for justice. There's a war going on right now, and and prayer is is an act of combat. This war is far greater and more serious than any that David or the armies of Israel ever fought. Our imprecatory prayers are motivated by the, the casualties of this war and our empathy for them. For those who are being hurt, those who are being deceived or or abused, especially spiritually. When we see the innocent being oppressed, when we see the lives of of little ones and their faith being damaged, we must cry out to God to stop it. We must cry out to God for justice. We we must cry out to God to frustrate the efforts of abortion clinics and, and terrorists and drug lords and human traffickers. The imprecatory psalms are cries for justice in an unjust world overcome by sin. So our imprecatory prayers are, are summed up pretty well in King Jehoshaphat's prayer in, in Second Chronicles. He says there, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And can you read the rest of his prayer with me? We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Martin Luther said, We pray for our enemies that they can be converted, if they can be, or if they refuse, that God oppose them, stop them, and end the game to their harm and misfortune. In other words, our imprecatory psalms are our prayers for God's rightful judgment. Imprecatory prayers are are only prayed against those who have repeatedly refused love's advances, who have, in the words of Psalm 2, set themselves against Yahweh and his anointed. And so also in the words of Psalm 2, God has said that that he will break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The imprecatory psalms are ultimately appeals to to this promise of God and, and how he has revealed his will to be. Last week, Pastor Brant in his sermon mentioned that, that it is a very good thing that we can laugh at Satan. And we can't, because Satan is, is now just a, a doomed and dying foe, and all of his attacks are just angry lashings, knowing that he's been defeated. Well, the imprecatory Psalms are, somewhat ironically, a, a loving warning to people who have sided with Satan against God. They're, they're a warning to repent, but for those who don't heed this warning, let them be blotted out of the book of the living, as Psalm 69 says, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. As we heard two weeks ago in Psalm 1, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. God wants everybody to be saved and to come to know the truth, but for those who refuse to do so, the king's wrath is quickly kindled. Paul said in Galatians that if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the true one, let him be eternally condemned. Now, I think it's, it's maybe a good thing that these sorts of things are kind of hard for us. It, it should kind of seem like a paradox to us that the prince of peace can wage war. But that's what the Bible says a number of times, and, and really that's how peace is won. Just like the Allies snuffing out every last element of the Nazi regime, how murderers and rapists are taken off the streets so they can't harm anybody ever again. In fact, the very first instance of the gospel in all of the scriptures is actually a curse. It's known as the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, where God tells the serpent that the woman's offspring is coming to crush his head. Last week, Pastor Ramp pointed out the inscription on our, our Lenten altar cross that, that proclaimed Jesus as the, the king of the Jews. Well, today I want to show you a little bit more of that cross. You can maybe see it from where you're sitting. There's a picture close up there on the screen. At the foot of the cross is, is a serpent with a, a splotch of red on its head wrapped around a, a skull and crossbones, the symbol of death, of, of Adam and, and the sin and of death that he brought into the world. Well, at the cross, Jesus crushed the serpent's head, taking him and his offspring down to the grave forever. So that brings us to the the fulfillment of the imprecatory psalms, first found in the cross of Christ. In this Lenten season especially, it makes good sense to apply these brutal psalms to the brutality of the cross that we encounter on Good Friday. It was on that cross that the blood of the wicked was spilled. Because there Jesus took upon himself the sins of the most wicked people you have ever known. The most wicked people the world has ever known. It was there that he bled for the sins of murderers and rapists and terrorists and pedophiles and and you and me. As he was hung on a tree, Jesus took upon himself the curse of sin for us. He was the one who ended up having every last curse of the imprecatory psalms leveled against him. Our gospel reading for today included what what many say is kind of the thesis statement of Mark's gospel, where Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Perhaps conversely, we might also be able to say the Son of Man came not to curse, but to be cursed, as he gave his life as a ransom for many. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has written, God's vengeance did not strike the sinners, but the one sinless man who stood in the sinner's place, namely God's own Son. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God for the execution of which these psalms pray. Thus, the imprecatory psalms lead to the cross of Jesus and to the love of God which forgives enemies. Thus, the carrying out of vengeance becomes grace for all men in Jesus Christ. So, reminding ourselves of God's judgment and even praying for it does not undermine Christ's call to love. Just the opposite. As we reflect on the cross of Jesus and the curse that he took upon himself for us there, we as Christians and the church as a whole are compelled to show love for all people, to forgive our enemies, and to pray for them to come to the cross. And at the same time, in the same breath, we pray for the hastening of the day of judgment, because the ultimate fulfillment of the imprecatory Psalms will come at the judgment of the living and the dead, We'll confess together in the Apostles' Creed in in just a second. As Psalm 2 reminded us last week, the Son's wrath is quickly kindled, and you will perish if you stand against Him. But blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Next week in our services, we'll be using the last of the seven penitential psalms, Psalm 143, in our confession and absolution. And that psalm ends with these words, And you, God, will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation for all who believe in him. And he is coming soon to put an end once and for all to everything that is wrong and unjust and evil. Until then, we trust and we pray, handing over our anger and our everything to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, Pastor Sean continues our series with some decidedly happier psalms and the songs of ascent. Until then, may the peace of God which transcends our understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.